Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grow. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. I'm your host, Ewan Sang, part of the Beautiful Business team. And today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gail Vorbin. Gail is a co-founder and creative strategist at Gas Studio a B Corp certified design studio who advocate design as a tool to encourage access to positive life chances. Gail and co-founder Steve Goodwin believe that design is a powerful tool to reach diverse groups. Gas Studio has learned that understanding your community first helps to build positive campaigns that are believable. They work with organizations and charities, helping them to move past the usual stereotypes and reading abilities to make communications work. I hope you enjoy the interview. Let's talk about a fairer society. Get your thoughts on this, please, Gail. When we first set up the call and before we jumped on the interview, we spoke about your background, taking on lecturing and moving into education as a role around looking after your kids. And for me, this put a couple of things into focus. The first one was just how hard it can be for mums to go back into work. The other thing is the distribution of opportunity within education and within society doesn't always reflect the distribution of talent. Now then, get a mum back to work, sorting out this inequality isn't fair and it's not easy to do. There's not a simple fix, but certainly with the latter. And I remember when we spoke, you talked about how you had seen firsthand that, you know, there's some kids there who had all the privileges, if you like, to be able to do the things that they want, when they wanted to do it, how they wanted to do it. And you had other children that didn't have the same opportunity. That sparked something for you and it's inspired you to work in the spaces that you work with gas. But tell us a little bit more about your experience of working with kids in different backgrounds and how that's shaped your values now. Yeah, so I started lecturing when my daughter was only one and I ended up working on a diploma, which is like an equivalent of A-levels at the time. So you see a lot of kids that maybe didn't feel A-levels were the right route for them at that point. There's a real diverse range of kids that are trying to not go into work. (laughs) So you get the kids that are just filling time, but then you also get the kids that really haven't been seen by the school system. I would say. And quite often being a creative, so this is around graphic design, being a creative, it's amazing how many dyslexics, ADHD kids, bordering Asperger's basically have not been really seen by schools. And creativity was always the thing that kept them going. And you see them start to come to life because they were in an environment where they're only doing the thing that they really want to do. But quite often they might not have all the equipment. It was Hertfordshire, so it's actually quite a wealthy county, but it was also, you were picking up students from North London as well, so with very different backgrounds, very different communities that are coming from, and they would meet together in this local regional college. The difference between them and then navigating that difference was really interesting. They were very supportive of each other, actually, and they would end up quite a tight-knit community, and they were looking out for each other, which was great to see. But it was also great to see those kids that had been overlooked until that point, actually finding their thing, finding their passion, and actually being given the opportunity to progress internally within college because they actually had higher education courses, which is what I ended up moving into, which would deliver like the first two years of a degree. They could stay at home. They didn't have to go away to university, but it enabled them to go through the thinking process in the first two years of a degree but in a much more sheltered environment than within a university. And I found from a a lecturer's point of view, I was able to have a lot more contact with them. 
develop proper relationships with them rather than in a lecture hall when they would be delivered to maybe an hour or two a week and then maybe there'd be a seminar group when they didn't have personal one-to-one contact. Whereas within the college environment, they were supported through a project. And because I already had industry experience, I was quite unusual really. And I was able to bring that 12 years of industry experience back into the college life, which I found really useful having practical briefs and being expressed how would that work rather than in a theoretical way that it would be in school. It was much more how the design boss would actually respond to them. I was actually often responding to them, but in a nurturing way, <laughs> but trying to give a bit more of a real practical life. Come on, work faster, get through more ideas. Don't just put one idea down because a creative director would want to see loads of ideas. Just trying to get them to develop their creative practice much more than in a ticky box way that would happen within a school. And that sort of develops through onto the foundation degree, which was much more practical than a university course, giving them their physical skills with developing ideas manually, but also the computer skills as well that supported it. Thinking skills too. University is very good at developing the thinking skills, but on the foundation degrees, they combine all those elements together with lots of live briefs that come from industry. It had a really good reputation, the college that I went to, because it had been established for a long time. A lot of the ex-students came back and brought in briefs with them because they maintained those relationships. And it's still ongoing. (laughs) I still keep in touch. We go back and we actually talk to the I go and we because my business partner was actually a student in my very first year of lecturing. So we go back together and we basically give back creative experience and our industry experience and explain the wiggly careers that we've both been through to get to the point that we are now, as well as give a bit of context to the business that we are now. So hopefully that explains a little bit more. It really does. I guess that experience, that exposure, the chance to engage with kids from a really diverse background in terms of the different communities that they came from and seeing them work together and collaborate and, and support each other must have been really heartwarming. But just from, from what you were saying there, Gail, what I'm quite interested just to find out a little bit more about is this piece around inclusivity and kids with these learning challenges and with these conditions. What did that bring to you in terms of influencing your work and that whole accessibility piece, I guess, in and around design and inclusivity as well. You made that point about accessibility. People talk about font size or contrasts and stuff like that. My impression is that it means a lot more, that there's a lot more to it. Tell us a bit more of your thoughts around that. I think there's so many different perspectives in how people pick up communication. It needs to be produced in a way that can be accessed by many different people. Everybody's come with their own biases and they come looking at every piece of communication with their own biases. So there needs to be an allowance that the world isn't one way, that it doesn't look one way. So it's thinking about it from the way that you communicate outwards as well. So any imagery that you use thinks about it's a complex society that's out there. How can you reflect that? How can you reflect that in the way that you speak, the people that you show in those pieces of communication? But the way that you speak is a structure as well. So it enables lots of different people to access it in different ways. A really useful thing that a lot of people probably don't realize is the average UK reading age is nine. When you think about that, that can be the basis of a lot of your communications. 
but also think about how things are structured due to that. Imagery is really important. We talk very much about self-identification. If you're not showing people in communications, they won't feel it's relevant to them. They'll shut down. If you're not listening to people and how they talk and how they see themselves, then you won't, won't allow communications to be seen in that light. So talking to as many people as possible when you're creating communications enables it to be tailored or, or non-exclusive is probably a better way than saying inclusive. Non-exclusive is probably a better way of tackling it. How are you not going to exclude people rather than how are you going to include people is a much better way of tackling it, I think. That's a really nice way of putting it and a really lovely way of putting it. And what are the practical steps of a company or a team could go about doing that? Because I think it is so important. And I, and I feel like from what you're saying, there's almost like the first step is a level of self-awareness. What are the practical things that a team could do to try and broaden that? Again, having an open mind has to be one of the first things there. But what else could they do to be less exclusive, I think is the turn of phrase, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's always talking. A huge part of our design process is enabling diverse testing of whatever you're doing. So you do some discovery at the beginning that talks to everybody. So you hope that you've included all the voices and all the opinions. That there might be a level that you have to go, okay, I can't do everything. Because <laughs> there is a limit. There is a practical limit because you might not be able to do Braille for every single communication. But what other ways of communicating can you enable to make a communication accessible for as many people as possible? Talk to as many people as possible before you start a communication. So you see the obstacles that might be in the way, see and understand maybe the biases that people have, the bits that they might tune out of or tune into. So you're understanding where the edges, where the boundaries are, so that you're not going outside of them and you're including as many people as possible, making a communication that's as getting the core bits. What are the important bits that are going to appeal and feel relevant to as many people as possible? And then at the other end, at the discovery bit, you do your creation bit at the middle. And then at the end, how do you test that that's actually really happening? That what you intended to do is actually getting across to the people that you want to talk to and the diverse groups of people that you want to talk to. Make sure you involve representatives from different community groups or different parts of your audience. When you created this piece that you want to get out to people, don't just send it out. <laughs> Check that it's actually going to work. Check that people really respond to it, that it makes sense, that what you were trying to say is coming across. Get them to say what they're seeing and then you're testing that it's really working and if there's anything that's being misunderstood your chance to adjust it and tweak it and involve them in the process is there anything we've missed out is there something really crucial that we've not seen and that's come back in our in our testing as well little, little bits of communication that we have missed that were really crucial can then be adapted and, and involved and included and that for photography briefs as well <laughs> make sure you are really clear that what you're putting out there is very representative. What every single answer that you give it has really hammered home to me, at least, and hopefully to our listeners as well, that there are many layers to this and it needs to be a thorough process. And there's a lot of exploration that needs to be done, a lot of discovery that needs to be done, but there also needs to be a lot of time for 
that analysis at the other end, that examination, the testing that comes through as well. There's no quick fix to this, be it, you know, in terms of a company's identity right the way through to inclusivity and accessibility. Because I would imagine with some of the partners and the charity partners that you work with, some of the organizations and not-for-profits that you work with as well, that piece around inclusivity and accessibility is absolutely key. In terms of marginalized parts of society, there might be communities where there aren't as many mobile phones in the household, for example, or there might be limited internet connectivity or whatever it might be. These, that's the depth that we need to go to right? In terms of our thinking, in terms of our considerations. And as you say, it kind of goes beyond just that, the veneer side of things, but it's really understanding what we're we trying to achieve with this communication and who it is we're trying to reach and, and, a, and a real appreciation of the circumstances that those individuals might be in. And I think it's also, there might not be a perfect solution. It's very complex and you may not be able to reach everybody as much as you try to be as inclusive as possible. It's a really difficult thing. So that's a little bit what I was trying to say about boundaries as well. And really understanding your audience. I think that's the biggest thing. It's not a science. <laughs> Unfortunately, people think it is, but it, there's an element of an art in it because of the balancing. Good stuff. And the last question, just to wrap this bit up, Gail, in terms of the projects that you've been involved in and the work that you've done, what's the most inspiring project or piece of work that you've had the chance to be involved in capacity? We're involved in really interesting one at the moment which is for very close it will be out there soon the Enfield Council and we're doing an active travel brand but it's meant that we've reached out to diverse community groups we've spoken to the youth mayor of London and all sorts so it's, it's become really interesting because we've had such insights into what motivates people within their communities can't wait for it to be out there right now <laughs> oh, fantastic sounds really good I can't wait to see it Thanks for listening to this episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. And thank you to Gil for being a wonderful guest and sharing your experiences in creating positive change in the world with Gas Studio. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.